Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Book of Revelation, session 14, Corrections for the Churches. And so we have been going through uh, the seven letters to the seven churches in the past number of sessions. We're still going to touch on that a little bit in the coming weeks uh, because there's just so much to get out of these two chapters, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. It would be criminal to, in an extended study on the book of Revelation, to just gloss over Revelation 2 and 3 at, in just a one session, uh, kind of a, you know, one and done kind of a deal. And so we've been looking at various aspects of it. Last week, if you want kind of the uh, antithesis to tonight, uh, last week was the encouragements and the exhortations that the Lord was giving these seven churches. Tonight, we're going to focus on the negative. We're going to focus on the corrections, the rebukes that Jesus was giving to these seven churches and trying to figure out why and what that's about and um, what was he communicating. Well, just as a little bit of a foundation, um, the Bible is filled with times where uh, the Lord brings about a correction or where he disciplines his people in the word. That is not an abnormal thing, but it's actually something that occurs uh, quite frequently in the scripture. And so it's, uh, it's something we want to not shy away from. We don't want to be confused about. We want to understand uh, when the Lord says hard stuff in the Bible or even to us in our personal lives, that that's okay and that, that didn't, that's not like God you know, lost his way and had a bad day and started to talk in a, a different tone of voice than he's uh, normally using. This is something that the Lord does uh, with specific purpose. He doesn't just like lose his you know, joy and get mad. That's not what's happening. It's actually as intentional and as loving as any kind thing that you've ever heard him say. And so the term rebuke speaks of a verbal disapproval when wrong has been committed. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is giving a verbal disapproval. He's saying it out loud. He's saying, I disapprove of this and this. I still like you, but I do not approve of this, this, and this. And you and I are at odds with one another. This is not okay when wrong has been committed. And we'll see in uh, these letters that there has been some serious wrong committed in these churches. And before we point the finger too far at them, there's probably a lot of wrong that these uh, messages would also communicate to us in this hour, which is actually going to be in the next session. Next week, we're going to spend the whole session looking at what are the lessons that the church can learn from the book of Revelation, specifically from these seven letters. What can the church now learn and glean from these things? All right, well, these uh, corrections, or, or rather these, uh, these rebukes, they serve as course corrections for anybody that's willing to listen. That's what's supposed to be happening. When the Lord gives a, a word of rebuke or of correction, it's not to say you're bad. It's to say, this is bad. Fix it because I like you. And uh, it's a, supposed to be a course correction to get us back on the purposes of the Lord. And the Lord can give us uh, uh, course corrections or rebukes from a number of different sources. And I just want us to be aware of that. The Holy Spirit convicting us is one of the ways. The Lord using another believer. It's actually a great kindness. If, if anybody ever comes and rebukes you, Hopefully they do it nice, but even if they do it mean, thank them. Even if they're wrong, thank them. Because they're trying. I mean, if they're a believer, then they think they're doing you a favor. And they probably are, 
And the fact that they were willing to come and tell you there is a blind spot in your life is an incredible kindness. Don't get mad at them and take them out of your contact list. Thank them for being kind enough to love you enough to come and tell you that there might be something wrong with you. And then you and the Lord work out whether there was really anything wrong or not. Their job was just to be the messenger. So it's a kindness that the Lord commissions believers to bring stuff up with us. Uh, even lost people confronting our hypocrisy. I can just remember one of the, one of the most you know, uh, memorable moments I have of a rebuke was actually a lost family member rebuking me. And they were totally right about what they were rebuking me about. I was like, oh, everything in me is so bad about this right now because you're lost. You don't even... It was the kindness of the Lord. And so don't, don't even turn away uh, from, a, from somebody that doesn't love God at all. Um, and then, of course, the Lord can even use a donkey. We've got that uh, experience uh, in the Word where a donkey actually rebukes uh, the, uh, the prophet or false prophet, depending on a lot of things. But, um, but anyway, the, uh, the, the point that I'm just trying to make is the Lord is after our hearts. He wants to make things right. And so we think of that word rebuke, and it like stirs up every negative emotion in us. And I just want to tell us that's our carnality. That's not the Holy Spirit. Because God is into rebuke, not like his first thought when he wakes up in the morning. Then do that. But, but if he did wake up in the morning, it's not his first thought. But it's absolutely in his tool belt in order to get the kingdom done. And there are times where it's the right thing. And if God didn't rebuke, it would be wrong for God to not rebuke. So we don't want to look at rebuke as a bad word. Instead, we just want to understand it in its place, in its context, the purpose it serves in the kingdom. And then when we find ourselves in the midst of a rebuke, we want to have a right heart and not do what the devil wants you to do so bad, and that is buck. The devil so badly wants you to hear any words of correction and rebuke and get so prideful, get so Satanful. And respond with, no, I'm not listening. You're wrong. Who are you to tell me? That's, those words would never come out of the Lord's mouth. But they come out of Satan's mouth all the time. And he so wants, when we're getting rebuked or corrected, for us to respond like him. So I just want to give us like, I want to talk real talk here about rebukes, okay? All right, the purpose of the Father's discipline. Look at this. Hebrews 12, 11. Again, I'm just giving you a little bit of background. If we're going to do a whole session on Jesus rebuking churches... It would be good for us to get a little context on why that's a good thing, helpful thing, and not a bad thing. The purpose of the Father's discipline, Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can I get an amen? amen. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Notice, only for those who have been trained by it. Those that didn't go, no. Those who were trained by it, it produces a harvest of righteousness and it produces a harvest of peace in their soul. But only by those who have been trained by it, only those that took the Lord's discipline, took the rebuke, took the correction, and went, oh God, help me. Help me, I just want to be trained by it. I'll tell you what, if you have no understanding about what it means to receive a rebuke and be trained by it, just go, oh God, train me, because that's what Hebrews says is a good idea. That's a great prayer to pray. The Lord will help you with all the nuances of your heart and help get you. The issue is, are you mostly resisting or are you mostly receptive? And I know, I'm saying the word mostly 
Because even when you're mostly receptive, there's still a little bit of that resistance in there. The Lord's looking at the heart, but are you mostly receptive or are you mostly resisting? That's the question. If you're mostly receptive, you will be trained by it. It will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace in you. And this is on purpose. This is from the Lord. And also, I just want to even give you that later on, however. The Lord built into the scenario the gap of just icky feeling. When we get rebuked, it does not feel pleasant. The Bible says it does not feel pleasant. It feels painful. So if you're like, this feels painful, ouchie. Yes, exactly. Later on, as in not five minutes later. Later on, as in if you stick with Jesus, you stick with righteousness, you stick with truth throughout the process. Later on, in a minute, you'll be able to look back. And when I say a minute, I mean weeks, months, whatever, years. You'll be able to look back. And if you held your heart right in the gap, you will be trained by it. And you will have a harvest of righteousness in your soul and peace in your life. You'll be less bothered the next time somebody rebukes you. Think about how tragic it is. Just think about your own life for a second. Do a little self-assess. Think about how tragic it is that a person can make your day horrible by telling you something about yourself that's true. Think about how, like, weak we are. <laughs> like, what, like, what non-superhero status do we have? That a person can come tell us something true about us, and it just messes up our day, and we're mad for a week. We are pathetic. <laughs> like, we need to really be trained by it, that we would have a harvest of righteousness and peace, so that we're used to it. Like, yeah, just come and tell me how bad I am. I'll deal with it with the Lord. Just That we could get to a point where we're not so bothered. When someone says, hey, there's this area in your life, and it's like, it's really not cool. It's not okay. It's not according to the word. Like, when you said this, it hurt me. When you did this, that, like, messed things up over here. How weak are we that somebody else can tell us something true, and we're all messed up? I think, actually, it's God's desire that we would mature. We would have a harvest of righteousness and peace, not just moments. We'd be able to live in an abundance of righteousness and peace and that our lives would actually be an increased measure of awesome all the time because we've been trained by discipline. This is good stuff. The importance of responding to his corrections. Now on the top of page two, we have a very backwards paradigm about discipline. We even consider it a curse. How dare you discipline me? We are so arrogant. We are so arrogant. How dare you do that to me? Don't you know who I am? I'm second to God. Like, we are just so arrogant, so filled with ourselves that when someone, when we receive discipline from a person from the Lord, we think it's like a curse. Like, it's like, what do I got to do to get away from this as fast as possible? And that's totally not true. We've been trained by our prideful society to respond harshly to correction in order to deflect it so that people are fearful to come and tell me about me. Like we try to put up such a guard like we're a grizzly bear so that no one would have a right to come and approach us and tell us we're going to be the exact opposite. Jesus was God and made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. He died without a house. He died without any money. He, died, he, he made himself nothing. And yet we're trying to make ourselves God. Like it's so backwards. We're such a wrong paradigm. This is just total fool, foolishness. Proverbs 1 7 says, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. The fear, like as in we're supposed to walk according to righteousness and goodness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And they despise discipline. If you despise discipline, I want to kindly tell you the Bible says you're a fool. Yuck! I'm leaving! I'm out of here! That would be foolish. Don't do it. Just listen to it and go, I'm a fool! Help me! God loves it when fools cry out for help. Believe me, I know I'm on the top of his list. I am constantly calling out, I'm a fool! Help me! And God just loves me for it. And he gives grace when we do that. Look what else it says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Thank you, Solomon, so articulately <laughs> saying, I was running out of words. I said fool already. I said folly. I need a different one. You're a stupid. If you don't love correction, if you don't love discipline, you're a stupid. If you hate correction, you are stupid. That, I just, you, I mean, I think all of our souls need to go on a journey here with Proverbs 12.1 because I think our default, even after hearing this, is we hate correction. And the Bible says we're stupid for that. I mean, that's, that's what it says. Just read the Bible here, friends. Proverbs 15.5, a fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. I just want to tell us, rebukes are good for you. And if you have, it's been a long time since you've been rebuked by anybody, by the Lord, by wherever. I want to tell you, that's not a victory, that's a problem. Because more than likely, you're not super saint. More than likely, you've just insulated yourself so much, nobody can touch you. And that's unhealthy for you, that's not a win. I haven't been rebuked in 10 years. No one would dare come up and say that to me. I'm too awesome. Someone needs to rebuke you for how not awesome you are. Like you, you, it's not a good thing if you've insulated yourself so much. And here's all it takes. You just don't have any personal relationships with anybody with any depth. Because then nobody can rebuke you. Because everything's surface and it's unusual for two acquaintances that barely know each other to rebuke one another on a Tuesday afternoon you got to have people that know you, that you've given permission into your life. Rebukes are good. They are sweetness. It is the Lord's desire that the church would learn how to receive rebuke as a kindness instead of bucking. All right. Well, let's now talk. Now we got a, hopefully a context here and go, okay, rebukes, got it. The Lord thinks this is a good plan. The impact of these rebukes in Revelation 2 and 3. I just want to give you some broad strokes. These, these specific uh, rebukes, I mean, Jesus is trying to accomplish a lot through these. One, I want to tell you, he is trying to strike terror <laughs> in the midst of these congregations in order that they would be responsive. I mean, he is trying to give, he's trying to scare the snot out of them. The stuff he tells them is not like, I rebuke you for you have a little bit of a bad attitude. Therefore, have a better one. Tomorrow, I will be checking in on you. He comes in hot, man. Guns blazing, okay? Jesus comes. I'm talking fiery eyes, Jesus. We just had the, the description of what he looks like, and that's the Jesus that's writing these letters, okay? He comes in. He's trying to scare the snot out of these churches so that they'd get jilted and pay attention. I've had times before where 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to give instruction to, you know, maybe a child or something like, hey, watch out. You know, there's cars out there or whatever in the street. And if, if that didn't jilt them, you better start screaming at them in order to get them to not run out in the street because those cars are coming, whether you said it nice or you said it mean, okay? Jesus is trying to wake them up, all right? Look what he says. Revelation 3.3, this is one of the statements in one of the letters. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I'm coming to you. I mean, Jesus is trying to freak them out, get them awake. Unto response, not freaked out for freaked out's sake, like that doesn't do any good, but for the sake of responsiveness, that the hearts would be responsive. And so the key to these letters is Jesus' statement that he makes in all seven of them. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, and we'll talk about it more. Jesus makes this statement over and over and over in these letters. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is trying to say to the churches. Like, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. Pay attention, pay attention. And yet the content of what he's saying, the content of what the Spirit is communicating is, rebukes if they are doing this, this, and this, and that they need to repent. That's the key message that we're supposed to get from these letters. Jesus loves us, and he's not okay with us living in compromise. We're supposed to pay attention to those, those rebukes. So, it's a sign of love, part C. Look at this. This is right in the middle of these rebukes. Revelation 3.19, on the top of page 3, if you're following the notes here. It's a sign of love. Those whom I love, I rebuke, and discipline. Uh-oh. Jesus hasn't been rebuking me and disciplining me lately. I'm telling you, you want to have a conversation with him about that. Because Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repentance needs to be something that is part of our life. It's not something we do once a year or once a major confrontation or once a conference. We need to let repentance be part of life. You do something stupid, tell Jesus you're sorry. You do something outside the will of God, tell, own it. I did it, I repent. He goes, I love that. That is so great. Be earnest and repent. He's, he sends us rebuke and discipline as an, a sign of his love. He calls them higher. This is Revelation 2.5. He's given these rebukes to call him higher. Not to go, you're bad. I can't believe you did that. What a mess. Like he's doing it because of love. For the same reason you tell the kid not to run out in the street so they don't get by a car. Not because you're trying to kill their fun. So much fun to play in the street. Get out of the street, man. Like we're in that boat. The Lord's not trying to kill our joy. He's trying to keep us in his purpose. He says, remember the height from which you've fallen repent and do the things you did at first. This is now Jesus trying to call the churches higher. He said, I'm not mad at you to be mad at you. I'm trying to call you higher. Do what you did at first. Remember the heights from which you fell? Get back up there, man. Climb up there. Come on. To make specific consequences known, there are some wild consequences that Jesus was making to these churches. He was making some promises, and it was more than just the general stuff of, hey, this church, I'm rebuking for this, this, and this. He made some specific consequences made to specific people that were guilty within those churches. And while being rebuked as a congregation will jar you awake, 
He was making some promises to some individuals that were specifically guilty ones within those churches. And he was saying, listen, you guilty ones, because I know everybody. I can see everybody's heart. I can see everybody's responsiveness. As a whole, I'm rebuking you as a church because there's so many of you that fit this category. But I want to talk to you specific ones that are guilty of this, this, and this. I'm coming for you. Yo, this is so intense. Look at this. He says in Revelation uh, 2, and then also in 3 here, middle of page 3, making specific consequences known. Some among you, this was to one of the churches, Hold to the teaching of Balaam. Repent, otherwise I will soon come to you. And I will fight against them, them, the ones among them that are following the teachings of Balaam. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is a specific promise to the ones that were specifically in that congregation who were specifically embracing this specific thing that Jesus is rebuking them for. I will cast Jezebel, the one that says her, but it's referencing Jezebel earlier in the... uh, passage you can read it so i will cast jezebel on a bed of suffering and i will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways i will strike her children dead this is intense this is jesus talking to a specific woman and to those that were specifically giving themselves to that woman's teachings and way of life revelation 3 i will make those who are a synagogue of satan who claim to be jews they are not They are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. This is Jesus talking to specific people. And he's saying, because, you know, no doubt they're going to read this letter, all of the people in that city that had any religious care or whatever. And they're going to hear this. And Jesus is, though the, uh, the letter was not addressed to those primarily that were part of that synagogue system, they're going to hear it. And Jesus is giving them the opportunity to know I'm coming for you if you don't repent. Like, I'm going to deal with you. All right, so let's look at the words that were spoken to each of these congregations. And I'll just tell you, I'm going to go fairly quickly here. You've got pages of notes. Part of the reason for this is so that you can go look at it later, study it, and read it, and go, oh, Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to go pretty quickly. Ephesus, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This group is being rebuked for they'd forsaken their love for Jesus. They'd fallen a great distance from their previous pursuit. In fact, Ephesus, while it doesn't receive the strongest rebuke, Ephesus had probably fallen the greatest distance. Because Ephesus originally was the revival center in the region and was like the main light and shine, you know, bright shining lamp in the region. And they had fallen so far from that that while another church might receive a more severe rebuke, Ephesus had probably fallen the greatest distance from where they were. Okay? They had stopped doing the things that they did when they had first trusted him. And Jesus is rebuking them for this. Smyrna. Smyrna is one of only two churches. There are two out of the seven. Smyrna is one of only two. So what percentage would that be? A good chunk. One of only two churches that Jesus has nothing negative to say about them. Yes! Praise the Lord for the Smyrnas. Lord, let me be a Smyrna. I'm changing my name. I'm Smyrna. Smyrna Stroop. That's my name. I mean, we want to we pay attention to the fact that there are two out of these seven churches, and only two, 
Two out of these seven churches that Jesus says nothing negative about them. He doesn't rebuke them. The other five get a whipping. And these two, he says nothing negative. And that screams. I mean, that is so loud. When you're looking at it side by side and you go, well, what's the negative thing Jesus said about Smyrna? Nothing. Well, how can that be? He said something negative about everybody. No, he said something negative about those that needed something negative said so that they could repent and get in line. He said nothing negative about Smyrna. Pergamum. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Jesus can have things against you. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine Jesus being like, I love you, I'm so glad, but I have a few things against you. I am against you in a few ways. Yuck. I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. They'd held to the teachings of the false prophet Balaam. They'd held to the teachings of the false, uh, the false teachings of uh, the Nicolaitans. They were practicing idol worship, and they were practicing or committing sexual immorality. And Jesus is coming at them straight on. He's saying that sexual immorality is totally unacceptable, and I don't care what your culture says. That is not okay. I am against you because of that. I hold this against you because you're in sexual immorality. It's not okay. It's not excusable. I know you live in a culture that said it's okay. You've been listening to the false teachers. You've been listening to the false prophets and the false uh, ways of the day that say it's okay. It's not okay. I have this against you. Repent. Man, it's intense. Thyatira. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Jesus, I will make those. Jesus saying this. I will, I will look, I know everybody, the ones who've been committing sexual immorality with her, I will make sure they suffer intensely, says Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. He is so intense. He's so intense about sin and righteousness. He's so intense about the relationship. He wants us to be in right standing with him. You know his greatest desire, the greatest purpose of humankind is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the purpose of humanity. When we do a different version of life, when we walk a different way, Jesus is so jealous to get us back on track, even to the point of causing those to suffer in order that they'd repent. It's not suffer like, I'm just going to go there and just smack you. I'm going to keep smacking you for 10 years. Every day I'm going to smack you. It's not smacking for smacking's sake. It's suffering for the sake of repentance. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants the heart of the church. feel I've lost you somehow. All right. He says, uh, likewise, you also have those. Oh, wait, nope. Uh, down at the bottom. Uh, make her suffer, make them suffer intensely. Unless, unless, that's the whole point, unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is one of those times where Jesus says, I'll repay you according to your deeds. And it's more leaning on the bad than it is on the good. 
He just got done saying, I'm going to do this in order to make such a spectacle that everybody knows I'm involved. That's where he says, then all the churches will know that I search hearts and minds and I repay people according to their deeds. Everyone will know that when I cause those that are in sexual immorality to suffer greatly. Oh my gosh, so intense. Why are they in trouble? They tolerated a false prophetess in their midst named Jezebel. They tolerated a false prophet. Tolerated. Because you know what happens when you tolerate that kind of wickedness and that kind of messenger and that kind of enticer? They're going to entice people. The fact that, it w- that she was tolerated in their midst was permission for her to continue to be in their midst and be herself and do what she does. Now, it would be different if she was being rebuked and gone through the Matthew 18 process, and if you don't deal with stuff, you're going to be kicked out of things. That's different. But this, this church, the whole church is being rebuked because they put up with one girl. The whole church is being rebuked because you tolerate that woman Jezebel in your midst. And as a result, and this was Jesus' point, because you tolerate her, she's talking people into idol worship and sexual immorality. Of course she is. That's what she's there for. And you're tolerating her. To the church of Sardis, top of page 5. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Oh, that's bad. Wake up, exclamation point. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and what you have heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I'm coming to you. This is not a good thief kind of moment. You know what thieves do? They steal stuff. Jesus said, I'm the stealer, and I'm coming. I'm going to come steal stuff from you. If you don't repent. Now, repent, I mean, we're great. Just repent. We make repent like such a big deal. Like it's, I'm only going to repent five times in my life. At salvation, and then the other four times I really blow it. We want repentance to be like air. When we mess up, we breathe it in. We repent. That way we don't ever get to a point where we've got like such monumental walls built up in our heart and our soul where Jesus has to say stuff like this. Nobody would ever get to this point if they were even half trying to have a right heart with God all the time. Half trying. (laughs) You don't get to this point. Jesus doesn't come in like fierce with his fists up on day one. That's just not how it works. But man, he comes to this point and he says, you have a reputation, and it's a false reputation of being a vibrant church. I'm ticked that people think you're wholehearted. I'm mad about that because people are going to think that's the model, and they're going to do what you're doing, and that's going to reproduce death. I'm ticked that you have a false reputation of being wholehearted. I'm ticked about that. You're actually spiritually dead. You'd fallen asleep, they'd fallen asleep related to their assignment. You can see the language in there, him talking about the deeds. He's found them incomplete in the sight of their God, in sight of his God. He says, you know what you've received, you know what you've heard, you know what I've assigned you to, church, in Sardis. You know the stuff I've given you, you have not fulfilled the assignment, you've fallen asleep on the assignment, you gave up. You've decided you're going to do something else. I just want to tell us, it's not okay for us to do something else. Like the Lord gives us assignments. We need to stay the course. These guys are being uh, rebuked, not because of areas of righteousness or unrighteousness rather or compromise. These guys are being rebuked because they're not doing the assignments, the ministry assignments that Jesus gave them to do. 
They had not completed the assignment for them. They had forgotten their commission as a church. See what it says? It says, uh, remember, therefore, what you received. Remember what you heard. I have to remember it? Why do I have to remember it? Because you've forgotten it. Because you're not thinking about it anymore. You're not letting that, those words, those prophetic words, those directional words, those things that I gave you as a ministry, you're not letting those drive you anymore. You've done something else. Remember and repent and go back to it. Laodicea, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And you say, nuh-uh. <laughs> you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. And Jesus says, nuh-uh, back. You did not realize you are wretched. Pitiful. Poor. Blind. And naked. Cover your shameful nakedness. So, so intense. They become lukewarm in their faith. They, become an, they became an unenthusiastic lover. Just think about a a marriage relationship and the one of the spouses is just like, hey, how do you feel about your wife? I guess she's okay. That's your wife, man. Is that all you got to say? I mean, uh, yep, that's about it. Unenthusiastic. <laughs> and Jesus is not okay with this. Remember the first commandment? To love the Lord our God with our hearts and minds. That's the point of life. If we're not doing that, we've missed life. We're doing something off he's trying to correct them he's not mad at them to be mad at them he's trying to get a course correction he's after their heart he's giving them these harsh words so that they'll go oh my gosh he's right i need jesus there you go that's all i wanted that's the reason he's talking so intense and he's talking so intense to laodicea because Laodicea can't even see that they become self-focused they're trusting in their own abilities they become displeasing to the lord they're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and they think they're good to go. All right, well, look, we don't have time for the last section. I'll just tell you what it is, and you can maybe look at it in your own time. Section four on top of page six, it's uh, two pages long. This section is Jesus in, in these warnings and rebukes. I just highlight the most severe warnings. They're warnings about loss of salvation, their warnings about loss and destruction of physical churches. Their, their warnings about names being blotted out of the book of life. Their, their words of warning about uh, entering into the second death at the end of the age. Their warnings about the severity of God's discipline to even come with violence, even come and bring an early death. This stuff is intense. This is intense. Look. Here's the deal. I, it, it's so simple for us. All we have to do is just try to love God. <laughs> That's all we have to do. We just have to try. You, you're, you don't have to like make it 100 on the test. All you got to do is try. Jesus goes, I see your heart. I love that you're trying. These churches that are getting these rebukes, they were done trying. They're, done, they're not, you don't rebuke somebody that's trying. You scoot them. You help them. You encourage them. These are Jesus' kids. He likes these people. He's not.
not yelling at him because he's trying to cut him off. He's yelling at him because their hearts have already decided to cut him off. All we have to do is just, God, just help. <laughs> I'm a mess. Help. God loves that. That's all we have to do and live there all our days. And you'll have ups and downs and this and that. But don't have prolonged seasons where you're not talking to God about your weakness. Don't have prolonged seasons where you're unwilling to receive his correction and his discipline because you absolutely can wind up here. I want to remind you, this is New Testament Jesus writing to New Testament churches who were saved. Okay? We, do, we need to learn the lessons of Revelation 2 and 3 and recognize this is not Jesus talking to some other group. It's him talking to the churches. Let the Spirit of the Lord, let you hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. It's very important. All right, let's break up into groups and then we'll uh, do some Q&A here in a little bit. Back to uh, Q&A now. And so uh, this is the time in the, uh, the uh, teaching or whatever where we kind of bring things back around and uh, we're able to kind of learn from each other, the, the different groups, because each kind of had different, you know, uh, questions and takeaways. And a lot of times those questions even come out of those takeaways has been kind of our experience. So uh, I'm going to repeat the question uh, for the sake of the recording and also for those that are watching online on uh, Facebook Live so that they can hear the question because they won't hear it if you ask it. So, uh, Cass, why don't we start with you tonight? question. So in the church of Thyatira, uh, Jesus says, uh, related to Jezebel, uh, some specific consequences for her. And then it also then mentions, um, if you guys as a church don't repent, and if all the people that are following her don't repent, uh, then I'm going to strike her children dead. So the question is, who are the children? And the, the context, I think, answers it, uh, because Jesus is not mad at kids because they were born. He's mad at people who are following in wicked ways. And he just got done saying, uh, if the people who are following her ways don't repent, then I'm going to come and I'm going to cause uh, you know, suffering. That suffering will even end in death to those that are not repentant because it's a process. The Lord does, the, actually the, the process starts with blessing, honestly. Um, the Lord blesses us. I can't think of anybody that's been more blessed than America. But if we don't start making some shifts, the Lord is going to start to start to lift some of the blessing off. We've already seen some of that. And eventually, he's going to remove the blessing entirely. But the blessing removed entirely isn't him sending anything bad yet. If we still don't repent, then he starts sending us stuff bad. But even the bad stuff he's sending, he doesn't send level 10 bad day one. He sends level one day one. And if we don't repent, it goes to level two, level five, level, level 10. So in this scenario, he's saying, if they still don't repent, even after a season of intense suffering, I will strike them physically dead. And it's talking about the, 
the children, the followers of Jezebel's ways. So Jesus is not, you know, after striking children dead because they were, they were children. But the reality of the context of the passage is we're looking at Jesus' rebuke is entirely aimed at those who are following Jezebel's ways, who are giving her a place uh, for her, um, her, you know, leadership in the church. And he's saying uh, those that are followers of her, uh, first I'm going to start with suffering, and it'll even end in death if they still continue to not repent. So great question. Uh, Luke, let's do yours. Okay, so uh, more or less the question is, tonight was all about Jesus rebuking people uh, and churches. What do, what's our takeaway as far as when do we do that, how do we do that? Is that a fair? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's a number of passages in the scripture that talk about the role of the believer in the life of other believers to be the words of Jesus to rebuke. And when we think rebuke, you want to think, here's how the rebuke really should go. Bro, I love you so much. Can we talk for a minute? I care so much about you. You know, I've seen this trend in your life. I want to tell you, I care about you. But this trend in your life, it goes against what the word says. And like, like it's, it's not all right. I love you. What can I do to help you get out of this? That's a rebuke. That's a rebuke done in good fruit. Every other version would still be a rebuke, but might be like, you lose points from Papa, okay? Like, you want to carry yourself in a gentle, tender spirit, okay? So, but that's a rebuke, all right? We need to be having those conversations frequently. That's not the kind of thing that you do one time in your life. That's the kind of thing with those that you could tell them, I love you, I'm your friend, I know you, you know me. We need to be having those conversations as we see things come up because we want them to do that with us. And if we don't want them to do that with us, we need to repent of that. <laughs> like that's, so, so when we use the word rebuke, like the really soft version, which is you're going to win more fly, you know, flies with honey than you do vinegar, the really soft version is the one I just painted, okay? If somebody's like, no, you're stupid. I'm going to do what I want. Matthew 18 actually tells us we're supposed to get another believer and go back to them we're supposed to tell their dirty laundry to one believer. We're supposed to go find another believer and say, listen, da-da-da-da, I just, you know, I had this conversation. And part of the reason for that is so that when we go talk to another believer, the other believer can go, you're the idiot. <laughs> They're not doing anything wrong. What are you talking about? Oh, I guess you're right. I guess I need to go repent for the, to them for saying something stupid to them. Yeah, yeah, go do that. Part of the reason for the process of getting another person involved is now there's two human beings that have the Holy Spirit living in them that are supposed to judge the matter in order to be able to go try to help their friend out of sin. So then the two people are supposed to go and talk to the person and go, bro, we love you. Hey, they filled me in. They told me they talked to you last week. Like, tell us your side. They have a side. They should get to talk. They're not on trial. They should get to talk. Let them tell you their side. Well, I just love sexual immorality. It's my favorite. Well, you can't do that. Like, that's, that won't work. Well, I'm gonna. Oh, no, no, don't. Because this, this only gets way worse after this conversation. Like, from this point, 
this starts to escalate in some ugly ways. And they're like, no, I'm doing it. Then you're supposed to go get the church and bring them involved, the leadership, a group of people. And if they still refuse to repent, they're to be kicked out of the congregation and treated like a lost person. The problem is we don't do this. This is a real problem, and it's part of the reason that the American church culture looks and feels and smells like it does, because we won't ever rebuke one another. We won't ever do the soft level one rebuke, let alone get it to 10. So this is an epidemic in the church, our lack of willingness to love our brother, our lack of boldness, our timidity. We are so fearful of man. I don't like doing it. I hate it. But that doesn't give me an out to not do it. There, but you do it in kindness. You do it in love. And you, you do it twice. You do it three times. You, you try to find a way. But ultimately what's supposed to be happening is that person, like Jesus says, treat them like they're a lost person because they're probably lost. Like if they don't, the spirit of God inside of you will jack with you. If you have God living in you and you're sinning, you're bothered. If you're not bothered anymore, there's a problem. The spirit has gone bye-bye, okay? If you are no longer concerned about your sin, I don't care what you profess as your theology, you're a lost person. Jesus said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we walk in? He says, away from me. He says, the ones who, uh, who obey my father's teachings, they are the ones that love me. And obey, obedience doesn't mean perfect. You never make a sense. It means repentance. Our way out, the, the greatest thing Jesus ever did for us was give us a way out called repentance, meaning wash the slate clean again after you did something stupid the 100th time. Wash the slate clean again. Wash the slate clean again. What? Repentance and walking with Jesus, that's our way. And when you find somebody that's not willing to repent, they're not, they, they probably don't know the Lord. And Jesus said, treat them that way. So that they'll go, why are they treating me like I'm lost? Because you're lost, bro. Well, no, I'm not. I know what I believe, but you're not following him. And this whole Christianity thing is not about praying a prayer. It's about following a man. And you're not following him. So, so we're going to treat you like a non-follower because that's how you're, you're living, acting, talking, breathing, smelling, whatever. Okay, so in answer to the question, like we need to learn this art. This needs to not be something so foreign. We need to be people who can give and can receive rebuke. And again, rebuke level one. Never start at level 10. Like, you are, you are so wrong if you come out there, guns blazing, start at level 10. Because that's not what Jesus did with these churches, I guarantee you. He went level 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.1, 2, 3, 10. He didn't start off at Revelation chapter 2 and 3 as their entry-level rebuke for what they were doing wrong. And you shouldn't either. So, great question. Uh, this question. So the question is, uh, one of Jezebel's um, uh, enticements uh, to the church was to get them to participate in idol worship by eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. And the question is, what do we do with that now, 2019 America, church culture? What, what does that look like? How do we apply that? Is that? Does that mean we shouldn't eat some kind of food? Um, 
great question, and here's the, uh, the short version on this. Um, there are some things, because Jesus is writing to individual churches, there are some things that he's writing about where he is trying to deal with a specific sin in a specific church, and that specific sin doesn't even happen someplace else because Jesus was writing to a specific church about a specific sin. The broad strokes takeaway on that is don't put thing, don't put stumbling blocks before people uh, that are going to wind up causing them aught with Jesus because that's what was really going on with the idol worship. G, uh, Paul himself, in dealing with some of the New Testament churches, he said, what's an idol? He's like, I don't care. Give me some food that was sacrificed to an idol, but I won't eat it if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. If it's going to cause my brother to stumble, it's sin to eat the food. He said, I can't eat it if it's going to make my bro have an issue because they just got out of idol worship. They've been eating food sacrificed to demons every day for their whole you know, adult life, and now they just got saved. And every time they see that food, they think of worshiping that demon. He's like, I can't eat that food in front of them. That's going to kill them. Like, that's going to kill their conscience. Then they're going to think it's okay, and they're going to be like, I'm worshiping this demon, but I'm trying to worship Jesus. Don't put stumbling blocks before our brothers and sisters. So I'll just say this. There are some things you shouldn't do when you're with that person. There are some things you shouldn't talk about when you're with that person. There are some things that you shouldn't. And in other contexts, it's not an issue. And Jesus, like, wants us to not put stumbling blocks. And so Jezebel understood the culture. She knew exactly what she was doing. And she is telling, she's enticing all these people. She's like, yeah, just come on. Let's just eat all the food sacrificed to the idols. It's no big deal. The idea of Jesus was the new idea in the culture. The established idea was sacrifice demon, uh, food to demons and then eat the food as part of like the way that you're fellowshipping with the demon. That was the established cultural norm. And Jezebel saying, let's just keep doing that. It's great. Jesus is good with it. And it was causing uh, mass amounts of people to stumble. So great question. And last one. So complex question, let me do the best I can, and then you just tell me if I got even close, okay? So, um, so in the context of the first century church that we're reading about here, it, it seems very obvious that there was only one church in a city, but we live in a city with 6,000 different congregations, different websites, different, you know, leadership teams. So... When Jesus was writing to the church of Smyrna, he was writing to one group of people that all kind of knew each other and they were all connected. How does, uh, what's the, the carryover, uh, you know, now in, in 2019 where we've got so many different congregations specifically related to the concept of rebuking? And I think where the question is really coming from is, well, yeah, but if we do the Matthew 18 process with this guy, he's just going to leave and go to the place down the street. So is it even worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. The problem is everybody's just decided it's not worth it, so nobody's doing it. And so what, what a, and then a connection point that I'm 
I, I'm passionate about is the importance of the leaders in the church of a city being connected to one another. It's important. And so like we do a Thursday pastor's prayer meeting. It's the senior pastors of churches here in Arlington. And they're in this room every week and we pray together and we know each other and we talk. Part of the reason for that is I want for when, you know, the one that's in their church that they just did the Matthew 18 process shows up at here at the prayer room and wants to pray. I want to know that that just happens so that we can carry on. You know, I mean, it's like that's not the only reason. It's one of about 100. But it's important for the church to be unified. So I'll say this. One of the modern struggles that the New Testament church, uh, the New Testament doesn't speak to all that clearly. One of the modern struggles is the disconnectedness of the modern church and how, how disunified. I mean, the word over and over says, be unified, be unified. And that is actually speaking to 2019. Hey, Church of Dallas-Fort Worth, you need to figure out a way to be connected and unified. It's not just in your individual congregations. You as the church, the body of Christ, need to be unified. We need to be figuring out ways to deal with that issue. Um, but uh, just in closing, and worship team, you can come on up. The, uh, the kind of the bottom line on this is we can't let the weaknesses and failings of our culture, of our context, of what might happen to that person, talk us out of doing what the Bible says. Like we can't just go, well, if I do what the Bible says, it won't work anyway. Like what? A, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Instead, why don't we get the spirit of faith on us, do what the Bible says, and then go, oh God, perform your word somehow even though it's impossible. I know you're a God that does impossible things. Like somehow perform your word. I can't tell you how many times that even on this specific point, the issue of a person who was rebuked, who refused to repent, who got kicked out of a congregation or out of a fellowship, I can't tell you how many times that's wound up becoming like, a, a, an accurate rumor in the church of a region to where it actually did wind up accomplishing what it was supposed to accomplish because there was some measure of connectivity of the leadership in, in a region. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I, somebody's called me and go, hey, we heard that this happened over in this place. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Uh, what do we do? Well, this is what we did. You do with, what, with it what you're going to do. And then they followed the pattern. You know, and so it's, it's healthy. We need to break the cycles, not just shrug and go, well, it doesn't work anyway, so just give up. And again, it's not to say you're bad. It's to say he wants you so bad, but you can't keep living this way and call it okay because it's not. This is not acceptable behavior for the body of Christ. And when I have not acceptable behavior, I have to own it. I have to repent. And Jesus goes, yippee. You can get a yippee too. But you can't just live however you want, do whatever you want, refuse to receive corrections, and think you're going to be okay. Jesus got some strong words for those that are in that camp. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.